0: I want to talk to you about beliefs because God wants us to trust him, have faith in him, be confident in him and in his promises and in his word. Uh, John chapter 11 verse 40, I just want to punch this one right through. The context is Lazarus has died, Jesus' friend, Mary and Martha's brother. And um, when he got there, the sisters were so distraught, he had been dead for four days and uh, he told her to roll away the stone and he said, Lazarus, come forth and he made it a, a, just a profound statement to those sisters, to uh, Martha in particular, but then also to you and me. And he said in chapter eleven, verse forty, "Did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God?" I'm telling you, a miracle belief system will put you over when everybody else is hesitating and backing off. When you're when you're trusting in God and you're believing in Him and trusting His promises it does translate into amazing potential. He said, did I not say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And God's glory is his manifest presence and his, his power and his person just in, on display in the atmosphere. In, his, in that case, the guy that died came back to life, got to tell the story. Lazarus died again, and they let him have a funeral, let him go. Uh, and uh, yet, you know, he has left quite a testimony to all of us. And I want to go to a couple of places in the Word. I'm going to go to John chapter 2 for, at the start, and then I want to go over to Mark chapter 6. And I want to just talk to you about our belief system and, and how important it is to feed our faith and starve our doubts to death. You know Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must do two things. One, believe that he is, and two, believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. So we hang our hat on his existence, and uh, we also trust his interaction with his followers, that he not only exists, but that he's integrated into and connects with people that seek after him. That's what he wants to do. That's what he's designed us for. Can I hear a hallelujah? So Jesus got invited to a wedding with his mother and some family. And on the third day, there was a wedding at Cana of Galilee, chapter 2, verse 1. And the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. So they weren't wedding crashers. They were invited. And when they, the wine ran out, uh, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And uh, that was an important part of the festivities and that culture. Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to his servants, whatever he says to do, you do it. Whatever he says to you, do it. I think the Lord's still saying that to us. We just need to be obedient. I talked about the miracle of obedience. Isaiah 119, if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. Now there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification containing 20 or 30 gallons each so do the math six times 20 or 30 do the math on the gallons and uh, Jesus said to them fill the water pots with water so they filled them up to the brim and he said to them draw some out now and take it to the head waiter so they took it to him when the head waiter tasted the water which had become wine and did not know where it had come from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. So this guy drank this, and he said, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first, and then uh, the people, after they've drunk freely, then he serves the ripple and the uh, other stuff. But you have kept the good wine until now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee, And verse 11, pay particular attention to verse 11. This beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory. Did I not say to you, if you believe, you see the glory of God? And look at this, most importantly, and his disciples believed in him. And this is the beginning of the miracle belief system. It occurred in this moment where a miracle of the water into wine. You guys, I grew up in Southern California we had lemon groves orange groves and grapevines all around our house this was in the late 60s and early 70s now it's been developed into subdivisions and so forth but at the time it was all agriculture a lot of people don't know this but when Walt Disney bought the plot of land for Disneyland in Anaheim they were lemon groves and orange groves now it's you know some of the most expensive real estate on the planet but then it was uh, row crops of 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 these things and we we would at one time we had a summer job where we picked grapes. Uh, it was I don't know what time of the year it was. Uh, it was, you know, the, the harvest. But we went out and picked the grapes. And it's quite a process. I'm told that it takes some, somewhere around nine years, a grape plant, to get to the point where it's prov- providing the kind of grapes to uh, produce, uh, to s- smash into wine. And then you pick it, then you clean it, you smash it, then you let it ferment, and so forth. And I got, you know, uh, and I don't, haven't had any alcohol since 1975, so I'm just telling you, I'm not like all caught up in this whole vintage thing. In fact, this story's hard for me to share because I help so many people with addiction that it's a conflict for me as a Christian, but because it's in the Bible and this is what Jesus did, I'm going to preach it. And uh, because this, in fact, takes a process to have this kind of good wine, I, I had a friend, he's since passed, but he was quite a connoisseur of this sort of thing. And he would have these bottles of wine that were from so long ago and they cost sometimes, uh, uh, you can go online, they're like $33,000. One guy had a bottle of wine that was from the the Civil, or the uh, Revolutionary War period. He carried it around and showed it off. It, It cost a quarter of a million dollars. And what's funny is while he was showing it off, he broke it and it spilled all over his leg. So that was quite an expensive spill on his leg, plus it stained his pants, I guess, so it was a double bad situation. But I, I want to tell you that this was a process, but so are miracles. Miracles are a process. They're just a different kind of uh, process, and they tend to be, have more compression. They kind of happen in a more concentrated kind of a way. But nevertheless, There's seed time, and then there's development, and then there's maturation, and then there's harvest, and then there's, you know, that whole kind of thing, and then fermentation, and that takes a long, long time to have the the best wine served in this situation, six jars with 20 to 30 gallons, you know, this guy that I knew that enjoyed this expensive wine, you know, spent so much money, money was no object to him, so he would get all this expensive wine, he was surprised I always turned it down, uh, you know, because apparently it was so amazing. And you know, and it was, you know, if you don't value something, then it doesn't really matter how much somebody else spent it. <laughs> I enjoy being sober, but anyway, uh, for the purposes of prayer. But for the purposes of this message, I heard somebody intimate actually that the couple that got married, there was so much wine here that, and it was so good, and it, they had so much of it. That after the party they still had a surplus, and that maybe this person theorized that maybe they they sold it, and and in that Jewish custom they took a year off to get to know each other, and so maybe they were sustained not only by this little special beginning of miracles, but even the abundance. I certainly know that was the case for the lady with the oil. Uh, you know she was uh, she entered into from being a consumer to being a producer. Back there in the Old Testament when the prophets said, "Keep, you know, bring the jar and pour out oil into the empty jars. I'm telling you, a miracle belief system, believing that God exists and that he's a rewarder, kicks us into an interesting gear. Like verse 11 here, this was the beginning of the miracles of the signs Jesus performed where he manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Belief, he said, did I not say that if you believed, you'll see the goodness or you'll see the glory of God? And uh, I, you know, faith is the substance of things hoped for. I'm a hopeful person. I'm hopeful even in the pandemic. I'm hopeful uh, during crises. I'm hopeful that, uh, you know, things are, there's going to be a good outcome in whatever situation. A hopeful person, you know, with a, with a faith bias is gonna see results. And a hopeful person with a faith bias is gonna obtain promises, not just, cause hope projects them out in the future, but faith takes them into the context of now. So, so I'm believing God for you to get a touch from the Lord tonight. We're gonna to look at Mark chapter six, but in Mark chapter five, when Jesus was going through town on his way to Jairus' house, A lot of people bumped into him, but there was one lady that touched him and virtue came out of him. He asked, who touched me? And and the disciples said, a whole bunch of people have touched you. But there's a difference between a physical grazing and a faith contact. And even in church tonight, even online tonight, there's a difference between a passive and then a proactive kind of stance. The woman with the hemorrhage said, if I just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Uh, you know, even Mary, when she charged Jesus, it's bewildering to me when he said, "Woman, you know, it's not my time yet." I think, I don't know what the reluctance was. I don't. I I, st- I still haven't had that verse adequately explained to me, in co- in, in in its context. Uh, I don't think he was mad at his mom for prompting him to step out in his ministry. I I, I don't know what it was. It, it was a, something in Jesus. Uh. Uh. I, who Who knows? You could if you know it, you could come tell me. But right now, what I do know is that he turned water into wine, and that was the first of his many signs, and uh, the glory was manifest, and his disciples began uh, their belief system, their miracle belief system. It is amazing to be a believer. A belief, to be a believer is to have an attitude that something is the case, or that some proposition about the world is true. I have a Christian worldview. I was just reading Genesis yesterday, chapter one and two. I believe God created the heavens and the earth. I believe that it was good, it was good, it was good. It was very good. And then he created Adam and Eve. He, it was not good that a, the man was alone. He created Eve, told him to be, to be fruitful and multiply, put a choice in the garden, the tree of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, and he said, uh, "Don't eat this or you'll die." Uh, the devil came along in chapter three I believe in a literal devil I believe they literally were tempted. I believe Adam and Eve literally fell and it explains a lot uh, number one, believing his exist- in his existence means we're not alone believing in his existence means there's somebody out there. There's somebody, like there's that, what, that movie, was that about Rocky Graziano, the, the boxer? Somebody up there that likes me. That was a statement he used to make. And number two, belief in his goodness means everything is eventually going to work out. Yeah. That God causes all things to work together. We know that God caused all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Uh, number three, Believing in the fall of man helps us to understand why the world is the way it is. Believing in the fall of man helps us to understand why the world is the way it is. You could shrug, hold up your hands and say it's a fallen world, and it brings such clarity to you as to why there's so much confusion, why the heathen rage, why the nations and the And the people devise vain things against the Lord and against his anointed. Why nations rise up against nations. Why there's such, why lightning strikes trees. And why we see, why brakes fail and things like that. Because we live in a fallen world. Prior to the fall, it was all glorious no disruption, uh, uh, uninterrupted fellowship with God, no sin, no sickness. uh, And uh, it was powerful. And but when humanity fell, He said, in dying, you will surely die. And Adam and Eve, there was spiritual death. 930-some years later, Adam physically died, but there was spiritual death that crept into the world. But then believing that Jesus, the Redeemer, came in on the scene brings understanding to us about redemption and its meaning. We have been rescued. We have been saved. Hallelujah. Believing he answers prayer means we are getting answers. Believing God hears and answers prayer means we are getting answers. The answers come. When you ask God for wisdom, you're going to get it. He doesn't hold it back. He withholds no good thing from those who walk uprightly. Number five, believing in heaven and hell motivates us to share the gospel with people. Believing in heaven and hell gets us out of apathy and motivates us to be ambassadors for Christ and share the love of Jesus in an effective way with people. And lastly, believing in God's obligatory loyal love builds hope and faith. I would have despaired unless I had believed I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I'm a believer, I'm not a doubter, and I'm trusting God. Listen to Mark chapter 6, and we'll read verse 1 through 6. Jesus went out from there and came into his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and the many listeners were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these are performed by his hands. So see, they're enamored, they're, they're astonished, they're perplexed. And it starts out as a compliment. It starts out as sort of a celebration. It almost seems honoring. Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands. But then they shifted. In verse 3. Is it's not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? This is the sin of familiarity that creeps in. Not only does familiarity breed contempt, it sows unbelief. Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. They took offense offense they went from being astonished to being offended in what seems to be zero to 60 in just about three seconds or less than that even it's crazy everybody say it's crazy unbelief is a bad deal we're going to see some of that in numbers chapter 13 in a minute but I want to read a couple of translations to you about this in uh, Mark chapter uh, 6 where it says in verse 3 where they took offense it says, in J.B. Phillips' translation, it says, they were deeply offended with him. William says, so they found a cause for stumbling over him. And in the 20th century New Testament, it says, this proved a hindrance to their believing in him. This proved a hindrance to their believing in him. Yeah. And something amazing occurred in Mark chapter 6 in his own hometown among his own kin. That is disturbing and something we need to watch and avoid. And it's called the sin of familiarity, which undermined the effectiveness of even the Lord Jesus Christ. We know worries and cares choke the word and make it unfruitful. But this offense that they took at him, this this diminishment and belittlement, isn't this the carpenter's son? Hey, isn't he one of us? It's the tall poppy syndrome trying to cut him down. This is that familiarity. And it says in verse 4, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own relatives and in his own household. Lester Sumrall said even from this pulpit that it's hard to impact your own family sometimes. And uh, he talked about this verse that, uh, uh, you know, people get into the sin of familiarity. Hey, bro, you know, it's just kind of a light thing and not, not seeing you by the Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, henceforth, we know no man according to the flesh. We need to know people according to the spirit and even know Jesus according to the spirit. Guys, they they were not knowing Jesus by the spirit here. They started by asking good questions. Wow, where did this man get these things? Uh, Where did he get this wisdom? And where do these miracles? How is he manifesting these miracles? And then they shifted. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Aren't these his brothers and sisters? And they were dismissive. And look what happened. Here's the calamity that came from unbelief, This is the unbelief system that definitely hinders and inhibits the supernatural. It says in verse 5, he could do no miracle there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. Not that he wouldn't do it because Jesus didn't get offended at them. They were offended at him. It's, he didn't say, I'm going to take my ball and leave. He could not. It didn't say he would not. It said he could not. Their unbelief started to hinder the very atmosphere for the miracle. He could do no miracle there. I'm teaching on the miraculous. And we are to believe God for the supernatural based on Mark chapter 16, verse 20, where they went out everywhere and uh, preached everywhere while the Lord worked with them, confirming the word by the signs that followed. God wants to go with us and manifest himself in interesting ways. He sets things up for us, and he wants to be present in it, involved with it. He wants to bestow wisdom into it. He wants to uh, uh, bring clarity in it. He wants to push back the confusion. He's the God of peace and not confusion. He very much wants to reach out through you and me and perform supernatural and extraordinary and major things. There are people in here that know how to pray, and by the end of this meeting, we're going to get some greater impact and a punch in our prayer life, starting right now, in Jesus' name. Look what it says in verse 6. He wondered at their unbelief. He marveled, it said in the King James. He was astonished, it said in the, in the Moffat translation. And in the New, Inter- in New English Bible, he was taken aback by their want of faith. Um, that word, uh, he marveled or wand- wondered, was the same word when he exclaimed about the centurion he had not seen such great faith in all of Israel. So you see that same emotive reaction of Jesus to unbelief and astonishment and wonder and bewilderment. You see he, was that, he had that same kind of emotion in the positive when the centurion said, just speak the word only and my servant will be healed. You know, I'm thinking about celebrities that have become uh, atheists and they've gotten up and really gotten really serious about it and like given a cultivated a lifestyle to it to try to uh, uh, help society, uh, you know, and, and to try to be nice to everybody who's superstitious to slough off all the uh, stupidity of being a believer in God. Uh, and, and, you know, there are even people that have a passion that in their lifetime, in 40 years, they want to see faith completely taken off of humanity. So what? We'll have doubt and unbelief. So what? We'll have this void. Uh, that would be, you know, in my view, because I'm a Christian, and because I believe in God and I believe there's a devil, then my conclusion then is that that would be satanic and that the devil would be trying to steal, kill, and destroy to come in and embed into a, uh, the Western culture and a quasi-sophistication and things falsely called knowledge and try to destroy people's faith. Listen, man. Uh, in the words of Tom Petty, I'm not going to back down. You know, you can stand me up in the face of hell and I'm not going to back down. You know, and, and, it, and it's not because of stubborn, well, you know, you, you're not soon to let go of your superstitions. If this, if I were to have based my life on superstition, that would have burned out about 50 years ago. Because superstition doesn't carry you for decades. You don't need delusion. None of us need to just kinda go through life imbibed on fantasy. We need reality. We need authenticity. We are designed to have discernment regarding that. We have a detector. Uh, A preacher's kids have a really sharpened detector, differentiating manipulation and reality with people. Cops develop that. You know, nurses and doctors, they've gotta think on their feet you know, I, watch, I watched medical care people that are really thinking and they're not, they don't have compassion fatigue and they've come back and they're arrested. I, I, li- I watched them listen. I watched medical doctors, I, I watched a judge listen to a case and endeavor to be free from and exempted from his own personal emotion. And I watched it. I was fascinated by it. I don't know how that guy, the gifting on that guy, to, to, the calling on that guy to do that. Well, we're all called As the spiritual people appraise all things, and yet we ourselves are appraised by no man. And yet, in Mark chapter 6, there was an appraisal going on that was very carnal. Where did this guy get all this wisdom? Where did he get these things? Where did these miracles come? Hey, isn't this the carpenter's son? (sniffs) So he said, you know, you can't do a lot of miracles in your own hometown when you have this sin of familiarity. Familiarity doesn't just breed contempt. It breeds something worse. It breeds unbelief. And he wondered or marveled at their unbelief. But look at the last part of verse 6. This is the cure for unbelief. This is what I want to get over to you tonight. He was going around the villages teaching. So let me tell you, the cure for unbelief is good teaching. The cure for unbelief is going to the Word, feeding on the Word like we're doing right now, and remembering uh, Hebrews eleven six. 6, Without faith it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God, how many of you have come to God? You must believe that he is. How many of you believe in his existence? I remember talking to atheists and agnostics. I remember when I was an unbeliever, I had a concept about God, but it was not sufficient for salvation. I believed that he existed in a sense of some kind of distant, kind of vague thing, but I had not experienced the new birth. And we're saved by grace through faith. Our salvation comes through this miracle belief system, and it's activated by Jesus. Look, in John chapter two, when Jesus did the water into wine, three things happened in chapter two, verse 11. That was the first of his miracles, the glory of God manifest, and the disciples believed. I mean, the signs and attesting wonders uh, point to uh, the authenticity and the validity of who Jesus is. In one translation, it says they're attesting miracles. We've had so many attesting miracles in this church. I mean, God has manifested himself in so many times in so many ways, generally, specifically in your family and mine. Look, and since before I was even saved... Uh, I told you that they tried twice to abort me. The third time, she declined and had me. Then, she, when I was probably younger than the little girl I brought up here, I opened the car door, fell out of the car in midair, and uh, somebody had to grab me. Uh, my mother had to grab me and pull me back from, uh, my grandfather was driving, she was in the middle, and I was sitting over on her lap. I opened up the car door and fell out, and she pulled me back in. I said, she said She felt like she had supernatural strength. And now somebody would say, well, yeah, that's, that's adrenaline. And I'm telling you, the Lord put adrenaline in my mom to pull me back out of the car. So you can't take that away from me. It's not like, it's, oh, it's science. It was adrenaline. No, it was the Lord that put the adrenaline in my mom uh, and gave her that quick grab to pull me back in. I fell off two cliffs, stepped on two rattlesnakes, and, and got, I almost drowned in a swimming pool. I flipped out in the ocean. I got lost at sea and all, on and on and on and on. Miraculous deliverances over and over and over again. So, I mean, the Lord's been good to me. And I have a miracle belief system. I believe in the supernatural God. And I believe that he's a rewarder. Uh, what, is, what is a reward? It's enrichment. It's knowing that there's, a, there's a, a light at the end of the tunnel. It's this possibility that God's going to turn this stuff around. And it gives you this sense that, hey, I, I'm going to stay in the game. Galatians 6.9 says, We're not to grow weary in well-doing, because in due time we'll reap if we faint not. And there's a faint-heartedness that's tried to alight upon humanity. Uh, you know, particularly during the time of Jesus in Israel, the oppression was so heavy. The Roman uh, invasion and, and the, the dominance was so oppressive. The Jewish people were in a terrible situation. And there was a lot of uh, uh, societal oppression, depression, and then Jesus comes in on the scene, the living hope, and he says, "If any man's thirsty, let him come to me and drink." When you're when you believe, when you're a believer, as the Scripture says, out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water, gushing torrents of life giving water. I mean, and this is good for the liturgical people. This is good for the agnostic. This is good for the cynic, the skeptic, and uh, it's good for the atheist, the agnostic, and it's good for the Christian that's gotten fatigued and weary. Uh, It's fuel for your faith. It's great to have faith. Faith is substantial. In fact, let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 and look at verse 1. And, uh, uh, you know, Clarence Jordan was, uh, he had, a dual degree. He had a degree in agriculture. He was a man from the south in the, in the early part of the last century into the 50s. He started something called Koinonia Farm, which was kind of a co-op, interracial. He was very thoughtful about people, loving, and he also had a degree in theology. So he had a degree in agriculture and a degree in theology, and he wrote uh, the Cotton Patch uh, Translation which is uh, full of Southern colloquialisms, and it's a trip. And uh, he said, faith turns dreams into deeds. It bets its life on the unseen realities. Faith turns dreams into deeds. Let me read a few translations to you. Of faith is the substance of things hoped for. Uh, American Standard says assurance. Uh, Weymouth says confident assurance. Rotherham says Uh, faith is of things hoped for a confidence. Uh, Moffat said confidence. Berkeley said solid ground for what you hope for. Faith forms a solid ground for what you hope for. Faith is being sure of the things we hope for. You know I'll tell you something. My brother-in-law worked for a concrete company and he had surplus concrete every day. We had a farmhouse with a gravel driveway and we wanted to put together a concrete pad so that my kids could skateboard and ride their bikes and not, you know, fall into uh, rocks and gravel and get all cut up. Instead, they'd just get road rash on the, uh, the uh, cement. That's what kind of dad I am. It's like better to have you get scuffed up on a nice flat surface than me have, have to pick gravel out of your knees. And so he said, I can arrange to get you so much uh, concrete, and I said, man, that's a, that's a blessing. Yeah, let's do it. And I said, what do I have to pay for it? He said, well, we need to dump it anyway, so it, it's it's win-win. So you could have it. And my the management said it's okay. So you, you know, he arranged for it. It was all official. But what we had to do then was I had to grade and level the surface and prepare and put uh, forms. And uh, so I got boards at the hardware store and I laid out boards, I got rebar and wire, and I wired everything together and nailed it together so that it would withstand the pressure of the pouring of the concrete. So my hope was that I would be able to provide a good surface for my kids to ride their bikes on. So that was my hope. Faith is the substance of the things I hope for. He came When he came up the driveway with that truck, and he turned it around, and he got the chute out and opened it up, and he started dumping the concrete in there, these were the parameters this was my target this is what i envisioned this is what i wanted to create and then then there was this wonderful gift of this outpouring of provision and i want you guys to set your forms and have your hope keep your hope alive i have hope for society i prayed today deuteronomy 28 48 through 52 Part of the curse is that that nations would attack and rise up against other nations. I'm believing God for the United States to be protected. That's part of my faith right now. I have faith for my children and grandchildren. I want them to serve the Lord. I want them to have a heart for God. I have faith for my church that we'll have a revival here of whatever description that may be from heaven. And I'm convinced it's without precedence or without any kind of reference in the current contemporary setting we're in. So I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus about it but I want to see a stirring of that supernatural uh, power. That's why I'm I'm preaching on Friday nights about the supernatural. Hey, listen, I'm all in with God and I I acknowledge, though I've never seen him, I believe. And I bet my life on unseen realities. Faith is the realization of things hoped for. Listen, man, when that concrete poured and we spread it and we had our rubber boots and we had the tools and we spread it and we got it just right and did the finishing work, it actually looked pretty good we even got the kids to come in and stamp their hands and feet in it and we signed the date on it it was pretty sweet I pray you get some breakthrough where you're able to put put your hands and feet on it and write the date and celebrate it's the evidence of things not seen the conviction of the reality of things we do not see I have a conviction that there's an invisible yet real spiritual dimension where angels and demons function where uh, the things that we see in the natural came out of the supernatural. This whole materialistic conclusion runs out of gas. It had to come from somewhere. And I'm convinced it came from someone. And in the beginning, he said, and it was so. The Amplified Bible says, Being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real what is not revealed to the senses. Faith. Perceiving as real what is not revealed to the senses. So our perceptions need to be dialed into what God's word has to say. And there's a miracle belief system that will foster breakthrough. It will fend off doubt and unbelief. And it will increase potential for us to see greater results in our prayer, in our sharing of the gospel with people. Uh, in uh, in our stance in society, uh, and we're believing God for great things to come to pass. Hallelujah. Hallelujah! I'm I'm pretty excited about this. In case you can't tell, and uh, Matthew chapter 10 verse 1, when Jesus summoned his 12, he gave them authority to uh, over all unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of sickness. Now, a cessationist, somebody who believes that was just for the first 100 years or so before the canonization of the scripture, they'd say that's all gone and done away with. But the commission to go and and make disciples, the fact that demons are still present, why would Jesus lift his desire to get people set free when he gave authority to the disciples? Why would he then withhold it for 2,000 years and have the church be relatively impotent uh, when he is omnipotent? Uh, meaning all-powerful. And uh, why would that ever diminish? The responsibility to share the gospel has not diminished. So then it makes sense to me that nor has the power of God to get it done diminished. Uh, And in fact, they went out and preached everywhere while while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the word by the signs that followed. Hallelujah. So the cure for unbelief is good teaching. And a person's belief system matters A person's belief system is quite important. From one's beliefs is birthed a world view, our perspective, the distinction between right and wrong, our morals, our values, and then our behavior are determined by our core foundational belief system. So it does matter what we believe. And when you say, I don't know, you know, I, I don't know, that's pretty vague. And when you say, I know that there is no God, that's pretty scary. But when you get in this place where you say, I believe you exist, and I believe, roll up my sleeves, you're a rewarder of those who seek you. And what's that reward? It's answer to prayer. What's that reward? The appropriation of his promises. What's that reward? breakthrough in the lives of the people you care about what's that reward fending off and holding back evil in the land god's doing some amazing things in this valley when we started out as a church it was a it was called gumbo flats there was a prison there was a, a bar named winty's there was an airport and there was a smokehouse and a few businesses that was it and a few houses Now it's become an economic hub and it's about ready to flip again and again. And it ends up that God has planted us in this moment, brought into the kingdom for such a time as this, so that we will utilize and and step out in faith. There's been a terrific pruning through this moment, this pandemic. Fantastic things are taking place in the church. Amazing, interesting things are transpiring. What's fruitful is being trimmed. And, and what's fruitless has just gone by the wayside. And yet God has taken his time with us. God is developing us. I feel prompted to teach on the miraculous. And I want to finish this service with us, uh, with our faith being high. I read uh, half of John chapter two. I read the first part of Mark chapter six. I reiterated uh, Hebrews chapter 11 to you from verse one to about six. And I, I reminded you that he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Yeah. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. So here's what we're going to do. Let's all stand up on our feet. I want you to pray with the people that are next to you. Pray, with, pray for the miraculous. Pray for the supernatural. They've got hopes. They've, they've dug out their, gra- their gravel driveway and they've put in their forms and they've got a sense about what they're believing for. How many of you are believing God for some things? Listen, I want you to get out, step out and find some people. And I want you to say, hey man, hi, I'm going to pray in faith. I want to pray the prayer of faith over you. I'm going to pray for breakthrough in your life. I'm going to pray for open doors and for favor with you. I'm going to pray for healing on your body. I'm going to pray for finances to break through in your finances. And I'm going to pray for the miracle power of God and signs and wonders to follow you in a new level. You guys ready? Turn around and find somebody to pray for. Just go venture out in faith and pray the prayer of faith over one another. Hallelujah.